Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, one thing never changes. I always talk. And I want to tell you a couple of stories, and you're going to think they're sort of weird, and that's okay. Uh, first of all, maybe you don't remember all your Greek mythology, so I thought I'd just help you out and give you a little brush up. And that's important for some of the things I want to talk to you about this morning, but it's also important uh, because there's so many movies coming out, and you're confused by the pantheon of the Greek gods, and so this might help you out. First of all, there were a group of uh, people called the Titans, and the Titans were the rulers of the universe, and among them were Cronus and Thea, and Cronus and Thea had a lot of children, and Cronus, in fear for his power, he locked them all away until the youngest was born, and when the youngest was born, Thea hid him away in a cave so that he would be protected until he was grown up, and when he was grown up, he challenged his father and took over and released all of his brothers and sisters, and that youngest child was named Zeus. And Zeus became the leader of a group of people who then moved on to a mountaintop, a mountain called Mount Olympia, and they became the Olympians, and they began to rule the universe. There were 12 that lived on Mount Olympus, and there was one who did not. There were 13 children, just so that you are brushing up. Now, we could go through all of them, but that wouldn't really be pertinent on Easter Sunday morning, <laughs> as many of you are wondering right now why we're talking about this. So 12 lived on Mount Olympus, but the three that really concern you happen to be Zeus, who became the ruler of this world, and Poseidon, who became the ruler of the seas, and Hades, who became the ruler of the underworld. That's what matters most. So Hades, who ruled the underworld, did not live on Mount Olympus, so there were 12 Olympians, and then there were the 13th sibling, and that was Hades. And down in Hades, down where Hades ruled in the underworld, a place called Tartatus, is, he, he sort of had a whole hierarchy, and in order to access the underworld, you had to cross a river, and the name of the river was the River Styx, and in order to cross the river, you had to pay the ferryman, and the ferryman's name was Charon, and Charon would carry you across the river Styx so that water was the separating point between the underworld and the living world. So any place on the planet where water came out of the ground was considered a gateway into the underworld. And some had incredible significance. They mattered a lot. There became a custom, and that was to put coins either on the eyes or on the, in the mouth of a, a, of a loved one who had passed away in order to pay the ferryman to transport you across into the domain of Hades, into the underworld. Now that's about as much information as you should have about mythology. Happy Easter. <laughs> While you have that story held in your brain, let me tell you another story. This story is, to me, the story of all of us, but I want to tell it about Peter. And it's an inverse story in the relationship between Jesus and Peter. And as one seems to move up, the other seems to move down, and as one seems to move down, the other seems to move up, and I think it's incredibly significant that we think about it together this morning. The fact is that Peter is lost, but he's on his way to getting found, and Jesus is found, but he is intentionally walking a journey towards being lost. 
Now, all you theologians in the crowd are immediately going, I don't think he can say that Jesus was going to get lost. I don't mean theologically. Pump the brakes. <laughs> but I want you to think about this. While Peter is in a process of being found, Jesus is in a process of intentionally, spiritually, relationally, emotionally becoming lost. Intentionally walking a journey towards that lostness. And so I love the way the story unfolds. I, I love who Peter is. I, I love how obtuse he is. I, I love how hard-headed he is. I, I love the way in which he tries to figure everything out and has such a hard time doing it. He's impulsive. He's thick-headed. He, he acts first and he thinks later. When the, when the teacher comes along and he's a fisherman and he's been in the family tradition and he says to him, listen, uh, I, I, I want you to... Uh, come and be a fisher of men, and he just leaves everything. Maybe he was terribly unhappy in his work. <laughs> or maybe there was something about the voice of Jesus and the look of Jesus that immediately told him he was lost. And he calls Peter, and Peter follows along, and he begins to, uh, to do what Jesus invites him to do. I love the story of Peter walking on the water. I don't know why Peter walked on the water. Maybe he thought it would be something he could tell people later. Maybe there was really some great spiritual moment for him. I don't know why, but he walks. And in that moment, he's found. He throws his legs over the boat, and he's found. And then he sees the winds and the waves, and he's lost. And then Jesus grabs him, and he's found again. And it's a pattern. Then there's this cataclysmic moment as the story unfolds, the lostness of Peter and the foundness of Christ and the journey that Jesus is on and the journey that Peter is on. And it happens at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And up at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus takes them to this place. This has been a place, a center for Canaanite worship uh, for the God of Baal forever and ever. That in time and eternity, it's been a, a center of that. But, but, but it was in ancient time called Panius. It was the place, the birthplace of the God Pan. And there was a wonderful cave at Caesarea Philippi. And out of that cave bubbled up waters from the heart of the earth. And so when the Greeks came and they went to this place where the Canaanites had worshipped Baal, but now the Greeks were beginning to worship Pan, they looked into the cave and they considered it a gateway to the underworld. That, that, that this water coming up from under the ground was literally the gates of Hades. And so they built a temple there. This is what it would have looked like. A long, long time ago. There would have been over the mouth of the cave a, a, a great temple that uh, served Pan and the, the gods of sort of the pantheon. And then beside it was a, a temple to Zeus. And uh, next to that was a temple to Caesar in the first century. The rabbis forbid Jews to go there. There's so many things going on up on this mountainside that he forbid the Jews to go there. And so Jesus takes the very lost disciples and the very lost Peter. And guess where he takes them? Here. To this place. And here's what it looked like just a few weeks ago. I was there and I snapped this picture. This is what it looks like today. You can see the big cave. And if you get zoom in close, you can see the niches carved into the mountainside that were used for offerings for the god Zeus. This was a center of pagan worship. This is happening. This was the belief structure. This is where everybody put their faith in the first century. This was the culmination. And Jesus stands the disciples in this place and he looks at them and he says... Who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, some say you are Moses. And some say Elijah. And some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. And some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But who do you say that I am? And in this cataclysmic moment, Peter says, you are the Christ. 
the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for man did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter is found. There's no more hidden story. Jesus proclaims himself to be Messiah. Peter proclaims Jesus to be. They're all found. But you do know that that's not where the story ends, right? Jesus now immediately says to the disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands. He begins now to describe to them his intentionality to walk towards this lostness. Relationally, emotionally, spiritually, he's walking towards this lostness. And Peter, who was just found, says, you will never do that. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. He's found and he's lost and he's lost and he's found. And then Jesus looks at the disciples as if maybe we haven't gotten it yet. I tell you the truth. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. But whoever finds their life or saves their life will lose it. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Peter lost, Peter found. Jesus found, willingly becomes lost. The story goes on. I mean, as it unfolds, they go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's lost. He's confused. He's a little odd. Meanwhile, Jesus is found, proclaimed for the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He's found, but he's on his way to being lost. They make their way to Jerusalem, the upper room. There's, there's the washing of feet. There's the conversation. Peter is lost and he's found. He's found and he's lost. And the disciples are lost and they're found and found and lost. And they're in a state of confusion. They go to the garden. There's this place of prayer. Peter's invited into this intimate space with Jesus. That's being found. Come with me away from the others while we pray in the garden. He's found and he falls asleep. He's lost. The chief priest and the guards come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls a sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. I, I don't know if that's being lost or being found. <laughs> you understand? I mean, he... Way to go, Peter, I think. And then the, he trails behind the crowd to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And he stands in the courtyard. And as the curtain really literally begins to descend on the earthly life of Jesus, Peter is accused of being associated with him. And he denies him three times. Lost. 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 And the curtain descends on the life of Christ. And he is beaten and paraded through the streets. And he's mocked. And only John remains to stand at his side. 
and he's nailed to a cross and he's crucified and he willingly enters in to all of the lostness that a human being could enter into and he piles on himself my lostness and Peter's lostness and your lostness and he becomes lost in every way that a human being can be lost emotionally he cries out in a loud voice my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know he's quoting the Psalms. I know there is a hopeful vein in the words he speaks. But he is anguished in his spirit. Emotionally. Relationally. And as he closes his eyes and utters those words, it is finished. He is physically lost to this world. The story doesn't end there, of course. It doesn't end in that moment because there is a foundness that is coming that is greater than anything we've ever understood. That on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women go to the tomb. And when they arrive there, the angels say to them, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. He is not here. He has risen. Go into the city and tell his disciples... That he has risen just like he said. And they go. And they run. And there's confusion. And Peter and John, they race to the tomb. And they are confused by what the women say. And it seems like nonsense to them. And they're still lost. And they're still confused. And, and, and they, they don't know what to do exactly. But the story doesn't end there. A day or so later, the... Disciples Peter and James and John and a few others are fishing on the Sea of Galilee and they see a person on the shore who says, have you caught anything? And they say, no, not, not a thing. Well, put your nets down on the other side. And they do and they catch a load of fish. And when they catch the load of fish, Peter says, I think it's Jesus. And he leaps from the boat and he makes his way to the little side of the lake where Jesus has prepared a little fire and breakfast and they're beginning to share together and Jesus now who was lost but is found looks at Peter and says Peter do you love me you know I love you feed my sheep he says Peter do you love me God Jesus you know everything feed my lamb Peter do you love me and Peter was grieved in his spirit that Jesus had asked a third time Jesus you know everything and you know that I love you and feed my sheep. It is a final moment for Jesus and Peter in which Peter now is found. He has a chance again to be found. After all of the things that have happened, after all of the ways in getting lost, he has a chance to be found. And this is what I love about the story. I think Peter got lost a bunch more times in his life, don't you? Because he was a human being like you and me. And I think every time he got lost, there was a prejudice at the heart of God to go find him. That if he had to venture through being found, he was found in human flesh. He was found in a manger. People found him right away. Surely this is the Messiah. Surely this is the Son. Come and see. We have found the Messiah. He's found and he willingly becomes lost so he can identify with you and me that he can come to the place of our lostness, that he can be involved in it, that he could take on your lostness and my lostness. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't like to think about my weaknesses. I don't like to dwell on the things I don't do well. But listen to this. The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that until you understand your own lostness, you cannot possibly understand the grace of being found. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your... Are you there? In your wisdom, in your great performances, in your deep spirituality, in your keen intellect, in your theological prowess. No! My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Because when I am weak, when I understand my own brokenness, when I understand that there are all kinds of things I don't do well that I am chronically failing at, that's when I'm strong. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. I've been lost my whole life, but I'm in the process of being found. And Jesus was found, but he willingly walked towards lostness for my sake and for yours. Aren't you tired of posturing with God and others, explaining yourself and defending yourself and trying to be adequate isn't it an amazing thing to stop for a moment and think about this we are not adequate you can just go ahead and realize that it's okay to not be okay that somebody here needs to hear these words and they need to hear them so clearly God's Grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for your story. It's, for, it, it's sufficient for your heartbreak. It's sufficient for your failure. It's, it's sufficient for your shame. It's sufficient for whatever has happened to you. It's sufficient for the injustice. It's, it's sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you because his strength comes to light. It's made perfect in our weaknesses. What a different home we would live in what a different community, what a different culture, what a different world if we were to all the more gladly boast about our weaknesses because when we live in the reality of our failure and our weakness, then Christ's power can be made manifest. He doesn't leave us there. Here's what your father in heaven is like. He's like a shepherd out a hundred sheep and 99 were safe but one was locked. Will he not leave the 99 and go in search of the one lost sheep. And when he finds him, he will put him on his shoulders. And he will call his friends and neighbors and have a celebration because that which was lost has been found. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And this morning I feel like on this Easter Sunday morning, we ought to have a chance to come forward and just say, you know what, God? 
I've been fighting this situation and trying to tell people that I'm not lost and try to always act like I'm found and I always have it together. But I know I'm not. I know I'm not okay. I know that I've made a mess of so many things and I want to invite the God who willingly became lost for my sake so that I might be found. I, I want to just have his strength and his grace find me. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to say a prayer together and the band is going to sing. And, and we're not going to have an elaborate, long thing, but, but if God's spoken to you this morning and you said, you know what, I, I just, I want to be found. I'm so tired of being lost and I know I'll be lost and found and found and lost and lost and found and found and lost, but, but this is what God has done for me. He's, he's moved into the place where I move between this lostness and foundness and he enters into my lostness with me so that he can find me. Is that just a tongue twister or does it make sense? Maybe you just want to step out and come down. And we'll close this Easter service with a prayer over you and then a great celebration. Will you stand with me this morning? You do have to admit, it's the noisiest standing room ever. God, would you in these moments wrap your loving arms around some people who feel wounded, broken, hurt, shamed, lost, lost emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Would you wrap your arms around them and remind them that you who were found became lost so that you might find us by the power of your grace? Would you use these moments to find us, we pray in Jesus' name. Listen to the words, and you're invited to just come and stand around the front as we share together. Who am I that the highest king would welcome? I was lost, but he brought me in all oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. The sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free last, he has ransomed his grace. slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Oh, the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of
say a prayer, but listen, if there's another person out there and you said, I should go, I should really go, I should go. I think I should go. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going. We won't hurt you. We won't take your name. Just don't want you to go home the same as you came. Just no reason at all for you to carry that burden with you. Just linger a moment. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I'm a child of God. God, we give you thanks. Thank you for these who have stepped out and gathered here. We know that there's nothing magical about stepping out and coming forward, but there's something profound about it. So often in our hearts, we pray and we talk about and think about things, but, but this is a moment. And this afternoon when Satan says, you know, nothing really happened today, you say, well, I don't know about everything happening in heaven, but I know I stepped out. I know I walked down there. I know I asked God to bless and help me. I stood there. I became vulnerable and owned my own story and I asked God to change me and I pray that you'd help every one of these people to have the courage to just stand right up and say you're just not telling me the truth because I was lost but now I'm found and I may get lost in some other ways along the way but God will keep finding me because he came and he gave himself up to find me to get into my lostness to become lost like me so that he could find me we do not have a high priest who has not been tempted one who was tempted in every way. I pray that you'd bless the stories that are represented, their homes, their families, their hearts, their minds. You would wash them clean of shame and guilt, that you would watch over and bless them, that you would embrace them and empower them, that you would give them a sense of your presence and that you would walk with them and put a vision in their heart for what you desire to do in their home and their life and their family and their relationships. I pray that in every single way it is humanly possible that each of them would be found. And I pray that over this entire congregation. I ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would guard their hearts and their minds and their spirits. I pray that you would bless their homes and their families. I pray that this congregation would become a congregation who an acknowledgement of our lostness becomes dependent on the power and presence of God and that we are found by grace. We proclaim it loud and we proclaim it long and we hold up that banner and we make a difference in the world in Jesus' name. And for it, we give you thanks and we celebrate what Easter is all about. You are risen, you are found, and because of your grace, all of us can be found. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Let's celebrate Easter. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.